The gospel reading for the morning is from the first chapter of Mark. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching. He taught them as one having authority, not as one of their scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? We know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Years ago, I had just returned home from a few days away when I ran into a neighbor who said to me, David has taken to barking at night. Uh, David was one of our neighbors, and I said, you mean he's got a dog? And she said, no, David is now barking at night. And I said, are you sure he doesn't have some sort of animal who's doing the barking? And she said, no, it's David, he's barking. Sure enough, around two o'clock in the morning, I began to hear this strange sound imposing on my dreams. I went to the window and looked down, and there was David on the curb, barking his heart out. Uh, I went down onto our porch to get a closer look, and the neighbor who had told me about this was out with her husband on her porch, and I said, look, David, he's barking. And she said, that's what I was trying to tell you. David now barks. Um, Hearing us going back and forth, David looked down at us, stopped barking, and stomped into his house. The next day, I was taking the garbage out to the curb when David came over and said, I want to apologize for barking last night. I was really well raised. I don't know of a book of etiquette that feels how you're supposed to respond to a neighbor, a grown man, giving you an apology for barking. He said, it's not you I'm trying to get, it's them. And he pointed at a house across the street. It's that dog of theirs. They had an old flea-bitten dog named Babe. Evidently, David worked late at night and so slept late as well. And the neighbors would let Babe out at 6 a.m. And then he would bark to get back in waking up David. And David said all of this with a straight face, as if it was a perfectly logical explanation why a grown man would stand on the curb in the middle of the night and bark. I had a couple of pastoral care classes in seminary, so using it, I said, have you ever thought about going across the street and talking to them? Oh, I couldn't do that, David said. And so knowing that I like to sleep at night, I finally said, would you like me to talk to them? And he goes, oh, that would be great. I'm going on vacation for a week. Any time before I get back would be super. <laughs> the week almost was at an end, and finally I went over and knocked on the door, and Norm answered the house where Babe was. And I said, Norm, we've got a problem. And he goes, yeah, I know, it's David. He's barking. 
I went on to ex explain Dave's problem of working late and sleeping late and babe waking him up. And he goes, why didn't he just tell me? We have five kids in the house. We don't hear anything anymore. Immediately, he added, I'll be happy one of us will watch babe. And I'm happy to report that both babe and, more importantly, David stopped barking. The sound of David barking at night often returns to me when I run up against what is so irrational about human behavior. Whenever I think, why couldn't they just cross the street and take care of this? Why can't we cross all the streets that have us divided in this, in this society you know, and have us separated, men from women, black from white, parent from child, rich from poor, Palestinian from Israeli, you know the list. Why can't we just cross those divides? The sound of barking comes back to me whenever I encounter that which is so irrational and so uncontrollable about human life. The sound of David barking at night comes back to me when I read this text in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, it starts as a perfectly sane story. Jesus taught them as one having authority. Now right there I get tripped up. Authority, that's a red flag word in our society. What kind of authority? On what basis does Jesus have authority? Back to our text, typical of Mark, he makes this grand statement about authority and the very next verse is, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. See, we're going down this track of authority when all of a sudden the irrational is upon us. Indeed, some biblical scholars not being able to make sense how these two verses got glued together says, Mark has confused a teaching story with an exorcism story. But if we read the whole passage, I think we begin to see what Mark is actually doing. He's explaining the nature of the authority of Jesus. Because at the conclusion of the story, the words authority and teaching return. We read people were asking, they say he has authority even over the unclean spirits. What is this, a new teaching? I think the reason Jesus has authority was that he was able to both deal with rational theology, but also with the demonic and divisive forces that are alive in the depth of the human heart and mind and in human systems of oppression and hatred. But I think most of us would prefer a much safer Jesus. I think we wish that that Mark's gospel would read, Jesus taught with authority, and then he explained it thoroughly with charts and graphs, and it all made sense. I think we're uncomfortable with a Christ who does exorcisms. Unclean spirits, demon-possessed humans, these are not topics of conversation for most of us most of the time. It's not what we want to focus on. After all, this is the side of religion that deals in mystery. This is the side of religion in which we dare name the demons. We dare to name the demons of abuse and racism, of success and failure. We dare to name the demons of self-doubt and anxiety, of grudges and hatred, of despair 
and fear. This is a very frightening act. But it is the purpose of our life together. By obedience to the gospel's witness and our work and worship, we are here to help each other discover a less safe Jesus. You know, churches are, are so many things. We are made up of small group gatherings and large events and meetings and plans and hopes and important mission outreach and prayer groups and support groups and Bible study groups. In all that, we would rarely have ever say this explicitly, but we are here. We gather together to help one another move daily away from fear and toward faith in Jesus who is not the safe choice in any of our lives. The Jesus who calms storms. The Jesus who casts out demons. The Jesus who names what is toxic and does something about it. The Jesus who is at home with mystery and with the holy. This is an urgent task. We need to remember that if we do not come to terms with the demons, the demons will come to terms with us. What is suppressed, Freud said in one of his greatest insights, what is suppressed is never forgotten. It comes back. A society that ignores racial injustice will see a breakdown in the streets. A society who this summer grieved the loss of the fictional hero Atticus Finch Gregory Peck of their youth, but cannot come to terms with the racism that continues to seep like acid into communities and churches and statues and flags and neighborhoods and families and hearts will find that stain growing larger, not smaller. A society that ignores what's happening to children and to women in our society will have it come back and haunt a generation which will know very little about what it means to be compassionate or just. A society that truly thinks happiness is what money can buy will soon find itself bankrupt of soul and pretty much bankrupt of money sooner or later. We can never afford to ignore that which is demonic. The authority that Christ had was that he taught and preached in a way that said, I will deal with what is destroying human beings. It's important to note that Mark is very consistent in his theology of exorcism. In Mark chapter 6, he sends the disciples out two by two on their first missionary journey. And in Mark 6, we read, he called the 12 and began to send them out, giving them authority over the unclean spirits. First time out, and they get authority over unclean spirits. I mean, couldn't Jesus have done better than that? Uh, how about giving the disciples a manual on church growth? Uh, how about a list of what millennials want in church? Uh, how about giving them like a plan to feed everybody who is hungry? Why is this the first thing mentioned? Authority over unclean spirits. I think it's the absolute realism of Jesus Mark realizes through the witness of Jesus that if we do not come to terms with the demonic in the human heart and in human society, there will be no room for us to welcome 
hospitality and grace and justice and peace and love and faith and hope. And demons, they are always at work. You know, media cameras in our day and age, they will go to a place that's hot for a day or two, a news cycle or two, and then they'll depart. Media cameras will go to Ferguson or Baltimore or Staten Island or Charleston for a cycle or two, but then you don't see them again. They went back to New Orleans last week for the 10 years after Katrina cycle, and then they left. But we know that what is causing brokenness and strife in human life is not just made up of episodes that come and go. What is demonic in human life is always at work. I wonder why cameras are not trained hour by hour by hour by hour on people who are getting their next meal out of a dumpster. I wonder why cameras are not trained hour by hour by hour by hour on the 60% of teenagers of color who don't have a job. I wonder why cameras are not trained hour by hour by hour by hour on the amazing struggle many have to be free of the grip of addiction. I wonder why cameras are not trained hour by hour by hour by hour. You fill in and name the demon. We all have demons. If a demon is that active force which is at work to keep us from the love and purposes of God, if a demon is that force in our own life that puts up obstacles to living a full, whole, persistent life of grace and forgiveness, then we all have demons. And if we are not here in this congregation to face the demons which keep us all from the love of God, then why do we gather? Jesus never flinched in the presence of demons. The greatness of what Jesus does as Mark presents him was that his authority came from this conviction that there is a spirit of love. There is a spirit of redemption that is stronger than the demons. And interestingly, the demons knew it. When Jesus came into the synagogue and preached, the demon said, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. If we would so live our lives proclaiming the word of God by our words and our actions and our lived hope, everyone around us will know that the Holy One is working through us. But demons do not come out easily. The text says the man was convulsed and with a loud cry the demon came out. That is a difficult path. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful screw tape letters, has the senior devil advising the junior devil, the status quo, my boy, the status quo. You have no greater ally in corrupting humans than the status quo. There always seems to be more energy keeping things, even bad things, even destructing, destructive things, the same than seeing them changed by the power and presence of God. And so it really does depend on faithful followers of Jesus to consistently and faithfully name the individual and collective demons of our life and world. 
That alone creates the openness for God to work. Exorcism is painful, but lives lived that cannot exorcise the demonic do not have authority. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. I was told David has taken to barking at night. But you and I know that there are far worse things than a barking neighbor that are happening. Unbelievably, the KKK is on the rise again, telling us it's about heritage when it's about racism. The number of bruised and abused children and women is increasing. Migrants are drowning in the sea and immigrants are dying in the desert. Gun violence is provoking despair in our national soul. Evil gathers as it always does in the human heart and in the systems of our society. And we are called to be here, to wrestle daily, to forge a path together of faithfulness and gratitude and generosity and forgiveness and hope. We are called here to testify to what we know and to share what we have experienced. Jesus Christ is risen today. This is it. This is all we have to go up against the demons, and it is everything we need. Jesus Christ is risen today. Jesus never flinched in the presence of demons. He confronted them. He named them. Jesus Christ is here in this table to which we come in a moment. We have the sustenance and the memory of what we need. Jesus Christ is here. And he says to each of us, as he said to those disciples, I give you authority over the unclean spirits, all of them, everywhere. Now go and use it.